At least two Republican congressmen are in the running to replace Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. They're among the most conservative leaders on Capitol Hill. Coming up on All Things Considered, what comes next in the House in Chaos. Today is Wednesday, October 4th. This is WBUR's All Things Considered. I'm Lisa Mullins. We'll also hear from one of the new Nobel laureates in chemistry, a professor from MIT, on how curiosity and persistence have paid off for him and his fellow researchers. Early in the pandemic, scientist Lindsay Marr made the case for cleaning up the air to prevent COVID from spreading. So if we think about the virus as a pollutant, just like other particulate air pollution, then we have a huge body of knowledge that we can apply. Mars' work has now landed her a so-called MacArthur Genius Grant. These stories and Wall Street numbers are coming up. It's 401. Live from NPR News, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Legislative business is on hold in the U.S. House, while the GOP majority is focused on selecting former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's replacement. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise is vying for the job, so is Representative Jim Jordan. The day after McCarthy's unprecedented ouster spearheaded by the hard-right faction of his party, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had a warning for the next speaker. I hope whoever emerges uh, insists on getting rid of the motion to vacate. Meanwhile, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi tells NPR the new interim speaker, Patrick McHenry, ordered her to vacate her honorary office at the Capitol immediately. She noted this was one of the first actions, even though the new Republican leadership faces a series of important decisions, such as keeping the government funded. The leadership shakeup in the House has an impact on continued funding for Ukraine or Ukraine's war effort against Russia, for example. And Pierce Tamara Keith reports President Biden says he will deliver a major address to try to persuade the American people that maintaining support for Ukraine is in the U.S.'s interest. President Biden says the existing funding for Ukraine will run out soon and Congress needs to act. But at least one of the candidates for House Speaker has already said he opposes additional funding for Ukraine. The path to getting that funding approved is now quite unclear. Here's Biden. It does worry me. And, but I know there are a majority of members of the House and Senate in both parties who have said that they support funding Ukraine. But support alone isn't enough to get a bill on the House floor. Biden said he intends to deliver remarks soon, arguing it is in the overwhelming interest of the United States for Ukraine to succeed in its fight to defend itself from Russia. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. More than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers walked off the job this morning. Here's NPR's Danielle Kay. The collective bargaining agreement for these healthcare workers, including nurses, lab techs, and lots of others, expired over the weekend without a new contract in place. So now their unions have launched a history-making strike in five states plus Washington, D.C. Their demands include pay raises and more job protections to attract and retain employees. Pharmacist Pam Waring was on the picket line at the Springfield Medical Center in Virginia. If you want us to give out the best potential to each patient, you need more money and you need more staff. Kaiser says it's committed to reaching an agreement, but the unions say Kaiser isn't bargaining in good faith. Hospitals and emergency departments will stay open during the three-day strike. Danielle Kay, NPR News. Authorities are searching for suspects in connection with a mass shooting during homecoming week celebrations at Morgan State University in Maryland. At least five people were injured. From Washington, this is NPR News. 
And from Boston, this is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Lawmakers at the Statehouse overwhelmingly passed a bill today that would require Massachusetts companies with 25 or more employees to include a salary range on job postings. Advocates say providing salary information would help close gender and racial wage gaps. No word on when the Senate will take up the measure. At least seven other states have similar rules in place. Boston City Council has approved millions of dollars in new funding for the Boston Police Department's controversial intelligence gathering arm. The vote comes after counselors denied the funding last month. Civil liberties advocates say the center disproportionately surveys minority communities. And four Bay Staters have received MacArthur Fellowships or Genius Grants. They include environmental ecologist Lucy Hutira of Boston University, molecular biologist Jason Wenrostro of Harvard, writer Imani Perry of Harvard, and computer scientist Lester McKee of Microsoft. Massachusetts tied with California for the highest number of grant recipients this year. This is WBUR. The forecast is next. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. More information is available online at Carnegie.org just gorgeous out there right now. Look for sunshine into the evening hours. Partly cloudy overnight tonight, down around 60 degrees. Tomorrow, sunglasses in order once again. Mostly sunny skies. Temperatures about 77. Looks as if the sun could take the day off on Friday, maybe Saturday as well, as clouds move in. This is WBUR. It's 406. WBUR supporters include Science Club for Girls, growing the 4% of black and Latina female scientists and engineers and transforming the face of STEM. Donate at scienceclubforgirls.org. And Greener U, working throughout New England to integrate climate action into the entire construction process for a fossil-free future. Learn more at greeneru.com. I'm Deepa Fernandez. The crisis in journalism has been chronicled many times over. The pandemic and current economic conditions hasten the decline. Most of the focus has been on newspapers, but even WBUR's own future is far from assured. That's why we need more members and member dollars. Giving $10 or $20 every month is the single best thing you can do to keep our journalism going. Give monthly at WBUR.org. And thank you. Thank you so much to everybody who has given so far in this fun drive. You have brought us a long way towards success. Truth is that we are far from success right now. I wouldn't say real far, but enough that we're a little bit nervous. Uh, At least I am, Megna Chakrabarty, I don't know about you. (laughs) But we're hoping that you will help us make up uh, the gap that we have right now in our funding because this fundraiser is over tomorrow at the end of the day. We need your help right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Let's just say I'm experiencing a heady elixir of <laughs> adrenaline and confidence. Right? That sounds good. I'll have, I'll have what she's having. It's the adrenaline from knowing that we definitely are quite a bit off of where we need to be to complete our fall fundraiser successfully. So that is, that's got my blood pumping. But at the same time, I have a huge amount of confidence in you, our WBUR listener because you're listening now and you know you need this station you know you need to understand the deeper currents behind the headlines and that's why you listen to wbur so if you really believe in that call now because we have a dollar for dollar match for your contribution 
You can instantaneously double the impact of what you do for WBUR. So 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call to get in on that dollar-for-dollar match, or you can do it at WBUR.org. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision and hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose. Work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to this station today. And please do it right now. We have a match on the table, so you will have whatever your contribution is. If it's a one-time contribution, a monthly contribution, uh, then it will be matched dollar for dollar for a full year. We're stressing the monthly contributions because it helps us gauge our budget for the year to come. We feel more secure when that happens, and we're looking to have as many of you become monthly subscribers if you can. If you already are, then if you can add a dollar or two, we would really appreciate that. We appreciate every single contribution, no matter what the amount. And right now, whatever amount you give will be doubled. one 800 wbur.org And we really mean it. Whatever the amount is that works for you, we are grateful for it. $5 a month, $10 a month, 20 even more, no matter what it is, if you call now, you get a dollar-for-dollar dollar match on your contribution of any kind and any amount. So 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call or go to WBUR.org because we really need a big push today, a big concerted push to help us get a lot closer to meeting our fall fundraiser goal. Now's the time to help be part of that effort. 800-909-9287. And why do we need the push? Because the fundraiser is over at the end of the day tomorrow. And in order for us to stay ambitious, know what we can spend on the news coming up, news stories that are already slated, such as the election coverage, news stories we have no idea are coming up. That's what we need to be prepared for to bring you the kind of coverage that you're accustomed to. This is independent journalism that relies on your funding, not the funding of huge corporations. We don't have advertisers. We have you. We are beholden to you. So right now, please do your part by making a contribution in whatever amount as Magna said, whatever amount you can make, it will be doubled. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You know, Lisa, in these fundraisers, sometimes I let my earnest self out about how important this is. Sometimes I let my sort of humor-loving side out. But right now I'm going to let my mom side out. Oh. I'm be like, listener, you know who you are. You know what you need to do. And you know that you'll be a good person and it will feel great oh. to do the right thing. Oh gosh, right? that's so and hard And I'll to say give no you a to. cookie in the oh. form of a dollar for dollar match. I love your mother. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. And look, in honor of moms and mother figures everywhere, 
they require and they rely on WBUR too. So do it for them. 1-800-909-9287. Yeah. How about all the people who grew up in the in the backseat listening to National <laughs> Public Radio and WBUR? Don't maybe, blame your mom, though. Don't blame your mom. I mean, maybe by force, but a lot of people, I hear from a lot of people, Megna, I'm sure you do too, who have listened to us for years and years, and now they're not listening by force, they're listening by choice. We ground you down. Now, we're really happy that you're on board, and please complete the circle by giving to WBUR. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Umbrella Arts Center, presenting Lizzie. Lizzie Borden finally gets her say in this ghost story meets rock concert musical. Now through November 5th. More at theumbrellaarts.org. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Ari Shapiro. Call it history-making, call it chaos, call it uncharted territory. Congress has never been here before. The Republican-led House of Representatives is without a speaker after a group of eight Republicans joined Democrats to remove Kevin McCarthy from his leadership role yesterday. McCarthy said he has no regrets. I leave the speakership with a sense of pride, accomplishment, and yes, optimism. His fireable offense, reaching across the aisle to avoid a government shutdown over the weekend. We are joined now by one of the eight Republicans who joined with all of the Democrats to vote McCarthy out. Matt Rosendale is a GOP member of Congress from Montana. Thanks for being here. Welcome to All Things Considered. Thanks for having me on today, Ari. I appreciate it. To start with the simplest question, why did you vote to remove a speaker of your own party? Well, the uh, fireable offense wasn't working with Democrats, and I would also refuse to accept the premise that we're plunged into chaos without a speaker. Okay, we have a very capable uh, speaker pro tem in Patrick McHenry from North Carolina. Well, let's start with the fireable offense. What was it? What was the fireable offense? was the uh, desire and, and the actions of the speaker over the na- last nine months as he continued to violate the uh, trust and confidence of the conference. We started off after he was elected speaker in January with a, uh, a group of individuals that was working extremely hard to pass the most conservative agenda that we possibly could. And we saw that in the form of H.R. 1, the domestic energy legislation. We saw that in HR2. So you, as, as you argue, things were getting done. And I understand that the leader your party chose to elect was not making choices that you or the other seven Republicans support. But with more than 200 Republicans in Congress, when any handful of them can blow things up, can anyone lead this caucus going forward? Sure. And we saw that that. Uh coming together and accomplishment of work. The only place that we didn't see that, Ari, was when it came to the big financial fiscal issues. And instead of trying to compromise with Democrats, what we saw was Speaker McCarthy go and allow the Democrat Party to dictate the terms of the legislation that was going to be passed. Well, I know he would characterize that differently, but here's how Republican strategist Liam Donovan, also a member of your party, described the situation today on NPR's Morning Edition. We always knew that there was going to be this empowered rump that had uh, a nihilistic streak, and if joined by all Democrats, this was always going to be uh, the case. Congressman Rosendale, that is a member of your party referring to you as an empowered rump with a nihilistic streak. What do you say to that? 
Again, if I could complete my sentence, what we saw was a lot of successes until such time that Leader McCarthy started dealing with the large fiscal issues that we must address. And he violated the trust and confidence of the conference. Okay, anytime that you allow the conference to uh, get to the deadline of the debt ceiling, that was engineered by uh, Kevin McCarthy. We knew since the Budget Act of 1974 that the appropriation bills were all due. The 12 separate appropriation bills were all due by June 30. It's in statute. They weren't, they weren't provided to us by June 30. They weren't provided to us by July 30. They weren't provided to us by August 30. So without getting too deep into the deadlines, the dates, and the details, you said Kevin McCarthy violated the trust and confidence of the conference, the the Republican Party in the House, 210 members of the Republican Party in the House apparently still have trust and confidence in him. They voted to keep him in the role. Eight Republicans in the House joined with all the Democrats to effectively fire him. How does that reflect his losing the trust and confidence of your party? Didn't he just lose the trust and confidence of eight members of your party? No, I don't accept that premise either, Ari. Uh, When you saw us before midnight last night, after the king was removed from the throne, five people have already raised their hands and said that they wanted to be the speaker. And this is the exact conversation that we had back in January. When someone wields that much power and they are concerned about the retribution that's going to be imposed upon them, then very few people were willing to stand up and, and, and take that challenge on. But well, now, what are you hearing from some of those 210 House Republicans who voted to keep McCarthy in the role? I literally started hearing from them last week that they were glad that this process was taking place, and they thanked me for pursuing this avenue because they knew that we could not continue down this path of fiscal ruin and and piling an additional several trillion dollars onto the already huge $33 trillion national debt. Let's talk about who succeeds McCarthy. Jim Jordan has said he is running for the speaker position. Back in January, eight years after he had opposed McCarthy's first bid for speaker, Jim Jordan nominated McCarthy and lobbied other Republicans to vote for him, too. Here's what he said. I think Kevin McCarthy is the right guy to lead us. I really do, or I wouldn't be standing up here giving this speech. I came in with Kevin. We came in the same time 16 years ago. We haven't always agreed on everything, but I like his fight. I like his tenacity. Congressman Rosendale, what do you think about Congressman Jordan choosing to run for speaker now? I'll tell you, I'm very excited that we're going to have a forum on Tuesday so that everyone who wants to be considered uh, for the speaker's position is going to have the ability to share their vision and their uh, leadership skills um, with the entire conference and, and, and prove to us that they earned, that they are worthy of that position. And, and I will tell you that the, the number one trait that I'm looking for is someone that I can trust, someone that I can trust that when they make commitments to the conference, that when they leave that room, that they're not going to go back on those commitments when they sit down with either Hakeem Jeffries or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden uh, and, and negotiations take place. We have to have compromise because we have divided government, but you cannot allow the Republican majority in the House of Representatives to accept dictates from the Democrat Party. They cannot dictate our policy. Republicans in the House have such a narrow majority that when you represent the views of the conference, there's never going to be consensus. More than 200 people are never going to all agree on something. Doesn't that inevitably empower a small group, whether it's your group of eight or some other, 
to just tear everything down if they don't get exactly what they want. I don't think that the, where we ha- saw the uh, uh, the differences and, and the calls of removal of, of Kevin McCarthy was just seven or eight members. When we saw the debt ceiling package that he negotiated with the president without the conference, there was more Democrats. 169 Democrats supported that and only 145 Republicans supported it. He had more support from Democrats. That's not... That's not the Republican leader. When we saw this continuing resolution get passed this weekend, it had 209 Democrats and only 125 Republicans that supported it. You can't say that you're the leader of the Republican Party and have the majority of the Democrats supporting and passing your legislation. Well, this is the first time the Republican Party has voted to oust a speaker. Do you think it'll be the last time? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Congressman Matt Rosendale, Republican representative from Montana, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, Ari. Thanks for having me on. The MacArthur Foundation has announced 20 recipients of its annual fellowship, what's often called the MacArthur Genius Grant. NPR's Gabriel Spitzer brings us the story of one recipient being honored for her clear-eyed science at a time when the world seemed out of control. To understand why the foundation singled out Lindsay Marr, you have to go back to the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic and remember how new it all was. As the World Health Organization struggles to figure out exactly how the virus is transmitted, health officials say it could turn into a global pandemic. The first public health guidance was based on a specific idea of how the disease spread by contact with spit droplets that fly from a sick person's mouth and then fall with gravity, supposedly within six feet of the source. To Marr, who's an environmental engineering professor at Virginia Tech, it didn't quite make sense. It seemed more likely to her that the virus floated around in tiny aerosols in the air, which means they could stick around longer and travel farther. Yeah, it's really critical, because if you think that transmission is only occurring by spray of large droplets and you tell everyone to maintain their distance of six feet, if the virus is in fact transmitting through breathing it in from tiny particles in the air, well, it's not going to work. The old guidance, basically stay out of the way of coughs and sneezes and you're in the clear, goes back decades. Mar says she did some digging and discovered it probably sprang from a flawed medical rule of thumb that no one had bothered to revisit. That may be because doctors aren't really experts in the physics of moving gas and tiny particles. You know, I think they were not savvy to the mechanics of transmission, and that's where Aerosol scientists and engineers, I think, can play a role, but I think we were shut out of the discussion because it was thought that our expertise wasn't relevant. Mars research made the case for ventilation, filtration, and high-quality masks. In other words, that cleaning up the air can keep COVID from spreading. So if we think about the virus as a pollutant, just like other particulate air pollution, then we, we have a huge body of knowledge that we can apply to this question. The MacArthur Fellowship comes with a no-strings-attached $800,000 cash prize. Mar hopes the award will help raise the profile of the issues she cares about. I feel like you know, I won the golden ticket in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I have a lot of, of mixed feelings, mostly good, but you know, there's also now, the I feel like, the weight of expectations on me. Lindsay Mar's work helped to bring about a huge pivot in how we think about COVID-19. But she says she foresees an even bigger paradigm shift, 
where clean air is inextricably linked to our overall health. Gabriel Spitzer, NPR News. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR. Good afternoon. I'm Lisa Mullins. Stocks got a lift today on Wall Street. The Dow grew by nearly four-tenths of a percent. S&P rose eight-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq picked up about one and three-tenths of a percent. Sunshine to close out the day today. Partial cloudiness tonight, about 60 for a low. Tomorrow, one more chance to enjoy the October warmth. Sunny skies, highs in the mid-70s. Friday, clouds block out the sun. Temperatures dip to about 70 degrees. 77 degrees now in Boston at 425. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Wheeler School. For students in nursery through grade 12, discover where your curiosity can take you at Wheeler. October 21st, open house. WheelerSchool.org. I'm Tiziana Deering. At WBUR, our job goes beyond reporting the news. We also help make sense of an increasingly complex world. We foster understanding, build community, and when we can, we spark joy and laughter. But as we look forward, we know our future's not a given. Giving monthly, it is key to keeping WBUR strong. So help us get to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. You can do that right now before we get back to All Things Considered, and we hope you will because we've got a match on the table. So whether you give on a monthly basis, we really hope you will. That's the preferred way for us because then we can uh, plan our budget accordingly for the coming year. Or if you give a one-time pledge, and we love that as well. In fact, if you can do it, no matter what, no matter how much you give, it will be doubled for thanks to uh, the generous listeners of the Morris Society who have put up their money to encourage you to give yours. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. So, Lisa, if I was able to give, if I were, got to use a subjunctive tense, if I were able to give $10, how much would it be? I think 20. Good job. Thank you so much. I throw the hard ones at you. Yeah, exactly. If I were able to give 1,000, it would be 2,000. And some people can right now. Yeah, and maybe some people can do even more. Whatever works for you, or let me put it this way, however you value WBUR, what's the measure of that value? Perhaps you might consider that being your contribution during our fall fundraiser. And then because of this dollar-for-dollar match, your contribution becomes twice as much for WBUR. So in a way, it's saying I actually value twice as much, but I only have to give a certain amount of money. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. Do it now. We're behind where we want to be on this fall fundraiser. Help us make a big push this afternoon. You could go to WBUR.org or once again, call one 800 909 to double your impact for your public radio station. This is Amory Sievertson, co-host of the WBUR podcast, Endless Thread. For thousands of people across greater Boston and beyond, WBUR is a lifeline, a reliable, trusted source of news, facts, analysis, and truth. When you support WBUR, you strengthen and extend that lifeline. You protect WBUR as a resource for a whole community of listeners who rely on us. 
Becoming a supporter of WBUR means that every story, every interview, every second of breaking news, and every moment of joy you hear, you made that possible. You gave that to everyone who turns to WBUR to help them understand our region, our nation, and our world. So please, go to WBUR.org and make a contribution to WBUR for yourself and for your community, for someone who might not be able to give. You are our lifeline. Thank you. It is absolutely true. It's not commercial money. It's not uh, uh, corporate money that comes our way. It is your contributions that make up the majority of our operating budget. So please give right now. Uh, if you've already given to WBUR on a monthly basis, if you have the wherewithal to up that by a dollar or two, we would appreciate that. If you haven't given, please do so now because you will get that monthly pledge or individual pledge, a one-time pledge match, dollar for dollar. We have got so much news that we give you 24-7, and of course, everything comes at a cost. One of the focuses that we've had uh, this week is climate change, which is urgent, but it is not hopeless. And so every day this week on WBUR, we're talking about what you can do to address some of those most pressing issues of our time with climate solutions. And we present news, not that is not all necessarily bad. There is a story coming up about homelessness in Los Angeles. Now, that's not good on the surface, but there's a pilot program that uses artificial intelligence to predict who's likely to lose their housing and then tries to help them keep it. So that's the kind of creative story that you hear on WBUR, a story that is well accounted for, that is vetted, um, that comes to you with uh, uh, reporting, with storytelling that you can trust. That's what we're asking you to pay for, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Of course, now I'm thinking of what are the data sets that went in to train that AI to predict who might uh, need housing assistance, because there's a lot of complications within that. that Lisa, Sounds like an on-point. Well, we, we've done many of them on, yes. <laughs> on AI, yes. as you know. But the point but the point is, is that, you know, this is the kind of mind that people at WBUR have. We're always asking questions, even about the questions that we're asking. <laughs> because we are deeply curious about the world, about your world. And I think you hear that curiosity, your curiosity reflected in the news stories and information you hear on this program. And that's one of the reasons why people tell me they love WBUR. So if you want to keep that going and keep it going strong, call 1-800-909-9287 right now and get your contribution doubled. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Celebrity Series with Jazz Along the Charles. Hear 25 bands play one set list along the Esplanade, October 7th, free to all. JazzAlongTheCharles.com. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. On Capitol Hill, Republicans are scrambling to figure out who can get the votes to replace ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. For, but for now, the House is effectively paralyzed because no real legislative business can happen, including legislation to keep the government open beyond the November 15th deadline. President Biden says infighting among some far-right Republicans has only made matters worse. And it's going to take everyone coming together to make a change. More than anything, we need to change the poisonous atmosphere in Washington. You know, we have strong disagreements, but we need to stop seeing each other as enemies. We need to talk to one another, listen to one another, work with one another. And we can do that. An interim speaker has been tapped to preside over the election of a new leader of the House. Today, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan 
and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise both announced they're running for Speaker. A forum for candidates is set for next Tuesday. The Biden administration is trying to keep up arms shipments to Ukraine as future funding remains in doubt in Congress. NPR's Michelle Kellman reports one small shipment came through this week from a surprising source. U.S. Central Command says it has delivered Iranian ammunition and small arms to Ukraine. The weapons were seized last year while they were being transferred from the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps to the Houthis in Yemen in violation of United Nations sanctions. Experts don't expect those supplies to make much of a difference on the battlefield in Ukraine or to ease concerns in Kyiv that Congress included no new money for Ukraine in a stopgap spending bill last weekend. State Department officials say they believe there is strong support in Congress to continue helping Ukraine and are urging lawmakers not to let this aid be interrupted. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, the State Department. Stocks finished higher on Wall Street today. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey signed a $1 billion tax relief bill into law today. This comes after nearly two years of deliberations over tax reform on Beacon Hill. The law is wide-ranging and includes reforms aimed at helping businesses, families, and individuals. WBUR's Ninjor Enwameka reports. The package includes tax credits for parents, caregivers, renters, seniors, and low-income families. It also cuts taxes on short-term capital gains and simplifies how the state's corporate taxes are calculated. Governor Moore Healy says the law will benefit the state in several areas. Today's tax cuts will make Massachusetts more affordable. They will also make our state more competitive. Keeping more wealth here, stimulating our economy, attracting more investment. The law will eventually give taxpayers more than a billion dollars in annual relief. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Zaninjor and Wameka. Nurses and other healthcare workers are urging state lawmakers to make swift changes to prevent workplace violence. Michelle Valentino is an emergency room nurse at Boston Medical Center. She spoke at today's hearing on Beacon Hill, where she recounted stories of being attacked by patients. I've had weapons pulled on me and locked triathlons. I've had dirty needles stabbed into my skin. I've been bitten, punched, pushed, and kicked on several occasions. I've been threatened, stalked, and followed to my car by my patients. Every time I go into work, it feels like a war zone. The bill under consideration would require health care facilities to have programs to minimize the risk of workplace violence for employees and for patients. A Chelsea man accused of selling fake Social Security cards and green cards is facing federal charges. Wilberto Sandoval Mazariego is being detained pending a hearing tomorrow. He faces up to 15 years if he's convicted. Another man connected to the scheme pleaded guilty to numerous federal charges in August. In the forecast, clear skies, sunny today, another beautiful afternoon and evening. Partly cloudy tonight, falling to about 60. Tomorrow, mostly sunny skies, another gorgeous day, highs about 77. Then Friday, clouds move in, could stick around for Saturday as well. 77 degrees in Boston at 435. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI, dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U.com. 
From Procter & Gamble, maker of Z-Quil Pure Z's gummies, designed with melatonin for occasional sleeplessness to help people fall asleep naturally. Learn more at zquill.com. And from the sustaining members of this NPR station. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Ari Shapiro. And I'm Juana Summers. Homelessness numbers in Los Angeles keep going up despite massive spending on the problem. So the county is trying a first-of-its-kind experiment in prevention. It is using artificial intelligence to predict who's most likely to land on the streets and then stepping in to help before that happens. NPR's Jennifer Ludden reports. Last year, Dulce Valentin and her partner Valerie Zayas were getting desperate. They'd both been involved with gangs, had met in prison, and were over the moon happy to have found love. But Dulce had bad bouts of mental illness. Valerie was hustling temp jobs. They'd slept in their car, then lost it, stayed too long with family. Dulce says they donated plasma and sold some of their clothes to pay for motels. You know, you stay at a motel room for three days is more than $200. You know what I mean? And it's like my seventh day, you don't have anything in your pocket no more. No food, no this, no that. And it was a very long struggle. Eventually, Valerie says they rented just a bed at a place on Venice Beach. It's like a motel, but it's dormitory style living. So we were there for a while. That's where they were when Dulce's mom told them she'd gotten a phone call. Something about homelessness, she said, and a program to help you. Dulce was skeptical. Sounds kind of shady, you know. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't sound real to me. But that call was real. It was from the Los Angeles County Department of Health Services, where Dana Vanderford helps lead homelessness prevention. A pilot program tracks data from seven agencies. Emergency room visits, crisis stabilization holds for their mental health, arrests, Also, addiction diagnosis and treatment, and who signs up for public benefits like food aid. Then, using machine learning, it comes up with a list of those thought to be most at risk for losing their homes. Vandeford says these are mostly people not part of any other prevention programs. We have clients who have understandable mistrust of systems, have experienced generational trauma. Our clients are extremely unlikely to reach out for help. So 16 case managers reach out to them with letters and cold calls. Hello? Hi, good morning. Am I speaking to... Elizabeth Juarez is cheerful and patient. She knows it can take a minute to process what's happening. She explains the program, how it offers a case manager to work with people for four to six months and figure out how to spend four to $6,000 in aid. That's money not given directly, but to third parties to cover bills. Things like rent, utilities, um, groceries, other kind of month-to-month expenses. It's a win just to connect with someone. The program never reaches about half the people on its list. Then some turn down the offer. They say others need it more. Some have already lost housing. Juarez says that's hard to say, sorry, this is for prevention only. We can't help you. On this call, the man mentions he's renting from a relative and recently had a seizure. And yes, he'd like to sign up. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. Juarez says rent isn't always the most urgent problem. She's used the money for payday loan debt, appliances, laptops, and recently an e-bike as someone's main mode of transportation. We discuss how is your living situation. So while somebody might be physically housed, is it safe in there? Do you have a bed? Do you have what you need in your home to thrive? 
and feel stable. Los Angeles is housing more people than ever, and it's building lots more low-income housing. But it still can't keep pace with the ever-rising number who end up in tents, cars, shelters. Leaders here say prevention is the only way, and that includes going out to meet these people at risk. What's up, Ricky? All right, how everybody doing? Good, good. Case manager Fred Theus greets a new client at his house. Ricky Brown is 65. He was a handyman who injured his back and had been getting by on his own, barely, until his ex-wife died a year ago. She'd been raising their three grandsons, so he took them in. Now there's bunk beds in the living room where 11-year-old Zaire is hanging out with his phone. How was your day? I'm good. I'm <laughs> good. What you do today? Uh, did a lot of math. Math? Ricky says his daughter and her husband lost custody long ago because they're addicted to pills. It's been tough for him financially, especially after he and the boys got cut off from food aid. Why, he has no idea. Now he's in the hole on rent and utilities. I had a little money put away, but boy, did I tell you if I went through it, you know, because these kids eat. Theus, the case manager, thinks the cutoff may be a paperwork snafu. Ricky also needs car repairs, and he really wants a two-bedroom for the boys. Getting a bigger place will be tough, though, given his low income from Social Security and odd jobs. Ricky says he's blessed with this program, but at night, it doesn't keep his mind from racing with a thousand worries. I might have to, have to lose them, or, you know, we're going to be on the street. That's the main thing I think about is the street, or come home, ain't no lights on, something. You know, I stay worried about a lot of stuff every day. The ultimate goal of L.A.'s prevention program is to keep people housed long term. And they don't know yet if it does. Will this little bit of time and money be enough? Are they targeting the right people? Those who would actually end up on the streets but for this help. Janie Roundtree heads the California Policy Lab at UCLA, which developed this AI prediction tool. For example, here in Los Angeles... You might have two million people on public assistance, all of whom seem vulnerable, but only one to two percent of them will ever experience homelessness. In just over two years, the program has worked with 560 people, and most have stayed housed. But Roundtree is doing a more formal long-term study. She'll have results in 2026, which is when the program's funding runs out. Most of it's from pandemic aid. She hopes there will be a strong case that it should be scaled up and can be a model for other places that want to do this, like San Diego County. For Dulce Valentin and Valerie Zayas, it has meant a world of change. They show off their apartment and little dog Zoe to their former case managers. It's a cozy space with family photos and inspirational quotes on the walls. Slowly but surely we started decorating the place because it came furniture. They were lucky to get a rare housing subsidy. Valerie says the stability helped her land a good job with the transit system. I have a clear head. I know she's okay. I don't have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from. Across the street is a park where people live in tents, and Dulce says it always makes her think. We always help people out there. We give them whatever we have in our pockets, food, anything that we could, because we know the situation, and it hurts our heart for people being out there. We know, she says, that without all that help appearing from nowhere, we could have been right out there with them. Jennifer Ludden, NPR News, Los Angeles.
This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Graduate School of Psychoanalysis. Become a certified psychoanalyst and earn your doctorate in psychoanalysis. Better understand how you can help your patients develop emotionally fulfilling lives. All prior master's degrees qualify for psychoanalytic training. Now accepting applications for spring. BGSP.edu. And Delta Dental, reminding you that a healthy smile is a powerful thing. Discover the connection between oral and overall health at expressyourhealthma.org. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Many of our listeners tell us WBUR is essential in their lives. They say WBUR makes the world a better and more informed place. We're the news source they trust most. We want to be here for the long term, but our future isn't guaranteed. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. And we hope you'll do that right now if you haven't as yet. Please do, because to be honest, we still have a long way to go to meet our goal and very little time left to catch up because the fundraiser is over at the end of the day tomorrow. So help us um, make up the time that we, in the time that we have left, help us make our goal with um, just, as I said, just a short period to go. Right now, there's a great incentive. We will match your pledge dollar for dollar for every gift, not just for monthly subscribers, although we do hope you subscribe on a monthly basis, but also for individual gifts. So if you can do a, a $25 gift, it becomes 50 If you can do $25 a month, it becomes Megna. It becomes... F- Wait, did you say $25 a month? Yes. 50 Did I get that no, right? No, a month. Oh. Yeah. Well, yes. It becomes 25 a month. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's very good. And that's up now. I was just year. thinking about how much work we have to do between now and tomorrow <laughs> evening. I'm a little bit overwhelmed by that. I'm sorry, Lisa. Yeah, it is a lot of work, but every single call brings us closer. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I suppose the position that we're in right now is putting me back in my college days where it's like, oh my gosh, I have to pull an all-nighter to finish this assignment on time. And you just get in that zone, right? You're like, I'm going to do this problem said, I'm going to get it done. Well, the problem before us right now is that we have a lot of money to raise in not that much time, just a little bit over 24 hours. And we need your help in order to accomplish that. We've got generous donors who are going to put a dollar for dollar match for your contribution if you call right now. It's like when I was doing my calculus problem sets and I would do one problem, but magically two would be done. (laughs) If only that were the case. But it's the case for this fundraiser. Dollar for dollar match, but you've got to call right now at 1-800-909-9287. This is Ira Glass of This American Life from Public Radio International. One of the things that makes public radio different is the way that it's funded. We have the most idealistic system, the fairest system, the best system in the world. That is, those of us who listen all the time, those of us who like the kinds of stories and shows and analysis and music and authors that are on this radio station every day, those of us who like that kind of thing, we all pitch in together, and that's how it stays on the air. Public radio equals public support. If you can help out, give a call. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. There may be people out there who say, oh, they've been fundraising for a long time. Well, the fact is there are a lot of people who are just tuning in now have not heard the phone number before, so that's why we say it and say it again, or gone online. And when you go online, look at the, the riches of original information, the images you have from our photographers, the the, uh, uh, the charts and graphs that sound boring, but they're anything but with 
the people that we have working on our digital output that makes the news come alive and makes it visible. So if you can pledge for that, if you listen to the podcasts, if you read our newsletters, go to City Space events. Megna is going to be interviewing Steve Inskeep tonight uh, at our City Space downstairs at WBUR. You get the whole package when you support WBUR, 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org and get your pledge matched. Match now if you call 800-909-9287. And look, real talk, we're behind. We don't want to be behind on where we need to be to have our fundraiser be a a success, but we are. That doesn't mean that we can't meet our goal. All it means is that we need more of you right now who love WBUR, who listen to this station, who listen to our podcasts, who really need WBUR and public radio to feel like you're plugged in in a meaningful way to the world around you. We need more of you to call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And again, now is the time to do it because of that dollar for dollar match. 800-909-9287. We're in the last lap of the fundraiser, so please don't let it end without you. We need you, especially now, in fact, so we can meet our goal. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. WBUR supporters include La Cuchara Cafe in Melrose, Modern Latin American Fair, drop-off lunch service for celebrating Spanish Heritage Month in Greater Boston, lacuchara.com, and the Boston Book Festival, happening in Copley Square October 14th. Bring the kids to see Percy Jackson author Rick Riordan, M.T. Anderson, Jacqueline Davies, and more. It's free, thanks to sponsors like the John Henry Family Foundation. Details at bostonbookfest.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative dedicated to providing ethically sourced food from small organic family farms across the country. Learn more at ov.coop slash ethically sourced. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at NerviveHealth.com. This is NPR. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Ari Shapiro. And I'm Juana Summers. In just a few moments, we'll check in with our correspondent, Ruth Sherlock, who's aboard a migrant rescue ship sailing between Sicily and Tunisia. First to the war in Ukraine. NPR has learned that the Pentagon has been warning U.S. lawmakers that military aid in Ukraine is running out. Congress decided last week to fund the government through mid-November, but it left out aid to Ukraine. The Biden administration wants another $24 billion for the country, which includes military, economic, and humanitarian assistance. That may not have support on the Hill, including from whoever succeeds ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. NPR's Pentagon correspondent Tom Bowman is here in the studio with more. Hey, Tom. Hey, Ari. Before we talk about Pentagon concerns, give us a breakdown of the money the administration is asking for. What would be in that $24 billion package? Well, Ari, more than half of that money is in the supplemental bill is for military aid, so more training by U.S. forces in Germany and elsewhere, artillery shells, missiles, mine-clearing equipment. But there's also, Ari, hundreds of millions of dollars for humanitarian assistance because there are some 5 million Ukrainians internally displaced in the country and another 
six million refugees who fled to countries like Poland. Also, the U.S. wants to help rebuild Ukraine's energy infrastructure, which, of course, has been hammered by Russian missiles. And they want to do that before winter sets in. And the administration says they are fast running out of the current aid package to Ukraine. When you're talking about billions of dollars, what does running out of money mean? How much is left? Well, NPR has learned that the Pentagon is telling Congress that nearly all assistance to Ukraine has been exhausted. That's a term they use. There's less than $2 billion left in the $26 billion in aid they now have. And the Pentagon says without funding now, the U.S. may have to curtail assistance to Ukraine, such as air defense and also ammunition. It says it's crucial because military officials say, Ari, the Russians are planning a winter offensive. And in the middle of all of this, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was removed from his job. That's right. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, yesterday after he was ousted, told reporters he favored more Ukraine aid. Let's listen. Look, I support arming Ukraine. That doesn't mean sending them cash, but arming Ukraine. But I have been on the White House even before they sent this supplemental. I said, you guys are doing it all wrong by just sending us a supplemental. And I think the president is failing here because he's not telling the American public what is the mission. And now McCarthy never allowed a vote on Ukrainian aid, by the way, and went on to say some members are frustrated because they want to support Ukraine, but not what he calls a never-ending war. But again, with the ouster of McCarthy, it's even less clear what kind of support for the war there is among more hardline Republicans. In practical terms, if the U.S. steps back from its assistance, what would that mean? Could other countries step in? You know, it's possible Europe has been providing a great deal of military assistance, by most accounts more than the U.S., but U.S. support in this war has been critical to much of Ukraine's success. So what if Congress fails to pass the new aid? President Biden told reporters today there's what he called another means for funding Uh, But he wouldn't get into that right now. So it could be some pot of money somewhere he could draw on. Uh, He also said, the president said, he'll give a major speech on Ukraine soon. And this debate happens as Ukraine pursues its counteroffensive against Russia. That's right. Uh, The counteroffensive is continuing. It's it's slow progress. And with a month to go before the weather turns bad and curtails fighting, uh, outgoing uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley told NPR, Ukraine now has the initiative but warned this will be long and bloody. And another senior officer, serving officer, Ari, told me what we're really looking at now is a war of attrition. It's NPR Pentagon correspondent Tom Bowman. Thank you. You're welcome. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Edward M. Kennedy Institute, asking, how do we strengthen democracy? An evening with Pew Research Center and national leaders. Tomorrow, emkinstitute.org. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. The journalism you get from WBUR depends on a strong foundation of listener support. And that's why your monthly gift is crucial. Make a modest monthly contribution that will have deep meaning and a big impact every day. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. A great incentive to give right now. Your contribution, no matter what the amount, will be matched dollar for dollar. It can be a monthly contribution, an individual contribution. Please make the call right now because... 
The truth is we are behind in this fund drive and we need to have a push in the next 24 hours because it is over tomorrow at the end of the day and we really don't want to end it without having met the goal. So you can do your part in that by calling right now if you haven't. If you have, thank you so much. If not, please do it right now and you would make things a lot easier for us in the next 24 hours. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with On Point's Magnet. Chakrabarty. Hi there, Lisa. And we're really not joking. This isn't just a ha-ha, we've only got 24 hours, we can do it, lighthearted moment. It's actually quite serious because we're well behind where we want to be, as Lisa's been saying. And uh, it can be a little bit of a daunting task to raise the amount of money that we have to raise in the next 24 hours. But again, as I keep saying, I'm not thwarted by challenge. And I know you, the WBUR listener, you're not thwarted by challenge either. So I'm quite confident that we can do this. But we just need more of you to step up right now. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. And again, if you call that now, you'll get in on that dollar-for-dollar match on your contribution. It's Leila Faldil from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. It's easy. Call 1-800-909-9287. I'll say it again. 1-800-909, like 90.9, or going online at WBUR.org. And once again, you will get your contribution doubled right now. So please call. Please go online. And think of everything that you get from WBUR, at least how much you use of, of what we offer you. Obviously, the broadcasts, obviously what we have streaming, our fantastic app that is so easy to navigate. You can listen in real time. You might be waiting for a doctor's appointment, and when you're in the office, you want to hear a story that somebody recommended from earlier in the day. You can just tap and find that. Uh, What you get online when you hear WBUR at uh, WBUR.org. Everything that we present comes at a cost, and we hope you will help us defray that right now. Just make a donation in whatever proportion uh, uh, you spend listening to WBUR or going online at WBUR. So here's the number once again, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And a profound, profound thank you to a listener who just called in with a $10,000 contribution. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. It's that kind of generosity that will help us immensely in reaching our goal. You don't have to give us $10,000 if that is not within your capacity. Your $10 contribution, your $50 contribution, whatever you can give will go towards helping us meet that goal that we have just a little bit over a day to meet. So help us catch up with where we want to be, where we need to be in terms of fundraising. We know this is your money. We know it's your hard-earned money. So in a sense, when you give to another organization, you're giving a part of yourself. 
And that's why we're so profoundly grateful for any amount that you can give. And now that amount will automatically be doubled because of that dollar for dollar match. So do call 1-800-909-9287, or if online's easier, you can do it at WBUR.org. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Fisher Investments. Fisher Investments' team of specialists offer guidance on investing, retirement income, and Social Security. FisherInvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. From the Joyce Foundation, committed to advancing racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Learn more at JoyceFDN.org. From Workday, an enterprise management cloud focused on providing organizations with a system to continuously plan for all what-if scenarios. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. And from listeners like you, who donate to this NPR station. I'm reporter Deborah Becker, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org, WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. The White House is urging the House to quickly elect a new speaker due to the urgent challenges facing the nation. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports legislative business is essentially on hold after the Republican-led chamber voted yesterday to oust Kevin McCarthy from his leadership post. The White House largely stayed out of the fight to remove McCarthy from his post, but warns that a prolonged effort to name a new speaker could delay efforts to reach a deal on a long-term government spending bill. President Biden says Congress can't afford to be faced with another 11th hour decision of whether to shut down the government. We know what we have to do. We and we got we have to get it done in a timely fashion. More than anything, we need to change the poisonous atmosphere in Washington. You know, we have strong disagreements, but we need to stop seeing each other as enemies. Congress is working toward a November 17th deadline to pass a spending bill, but without a speaker, the House can't move forward with legislation. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Healthcare workers at hundreds of Kaiser Permanente hospitals and medical facilities across the U.S. walked off the job this morning. In Denver, Matt Bloom from Colorado Public Radio has more. Outside one of the health system's offices in Denver, many patients walked past a picket line. Aurora resident Jean-Claude Futrell has a ruptured Achilles and couldn't miss a follow-up surgery appointment, but he says he supports workers. When we have to take care of those that take care of us, right? Like these are, these are people that take care of us, and if we're not taking care of them, then who are we? The unions representing over 75,000 nurses, pharmacy techs, and other jobs are striking to get higher wages and address understaffing. The strike's expected to last just one day in eastern states and through Friday in Colorado and others in the west. For NPR News, I'm Matt Bloom in Denver. Opening arguments got underway today in the trial of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried with prosecutor Nathan Rand laying out the government's case. Prosecutors allege the 31-year-old cryptocurrency whiz stole at least $10 billion from customers, siphoning off the money for various uses. Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty. 
And a report is suggesting hiring slowed last month. NPR Scott Horsley reports this in contrast with what might have been expected given the rise in August job openings. Investors are sorting through mixed signals about the U.S. job market. Payroll processing company ADP reports slower than expected job growth for September. The news comes a day after the Labor Department reported an unexpected jump in the number of job openings. The Federal Reserve is paying close attention to the job market as it tries to decide how much higher interest rates may have to go to curb inflation. The yield on 10-year Treasury bonds dipped slightly after hitting a 16-year high on Tuesday. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. On Wall Street, the Dow was up 127 points today. You're listening to NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. Good afternoon, I'm Lisa Mullins. Massachusetts is teaming up with Rhode Island and Connecticut to develop offshore wind. The three states will coordinate efforts to build and pay for wind turbine technology and share energy that's generated from the offshore wind projects. This summer, Massachusetts requested bids to develop up to 3,600 megawatts of offshore wind power. The State Department of Revenue is reporting revenue collections of just under $4.2 billion last month. That's a little less than in September of last year, and $150 million, or 3.5% below this year's expectation. Governor Maura Healey is declaring October Massachusetts Cranberry Month. The trade group Massachusetts Cranberries notes there are about 12,000 acres of commercial cranberry bogs in the state. Last year, the cranberry growing industry generated more than $1.7 billion for Massachusetts. This is WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Katina Foundation, supporting the Asylum Seeker Advocacy Project, providing more than 100,000 asylum seekers in the U.S. with community and legal support. Learn more at asylum.news. So nice out there with a great evening coming up, then partly cloudy skies overnight tonight, dipping to about 60. Another sunny and dry day tomorrow, 77 for a high. And that could be it for the series of spectacular fall days, as Friday could be heavy on the clouds, a lot cooler, right about 70 degrees. 77 in Boston. The time is 5.06. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Spalding Rehabilitation. For expert care, turn to Spalding with three inpatient hospitals, a skilled nursing facility, and outpatient centers across Eastern Mass. Spalding is a world leader in advanced rehab treatment and research. U.S. News ranks Spalding number two for rehab care in the country. SpaldingRehab.org. I'm Anthony Brooks. There is an inseparable link between the journalism that you rely on from WBUR and the listener support that makes it possible. Listener support continues to carry WBUR like never before. That's why your monthly gift is so important right now. To give, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thanks. Thank you so much to everybody who has called, including uh, the listener who made a very generous gift just in the last hour or so. We are so grateful. We are grateful for every call we get. Every time somebody goes online at WBUR.org and pledges, we really appreciate it because you're part of the community because you listen or you go to WBUR.org, you tune into our podcast. We want you to be a full member, if you can afford it, by contributing whatever you can, $10, $10 a month, $20, $20 a month. Some people can make do a gift of $500. We very much appreciate it because every call brings us closer to a successful end to this fund drive. The fact is, the fundraiser is ending at the end of the day tomorrow, and we are nowhere close to making our goal as of now. 
Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We can do this. 1-800-909-9287. That's the number to call. And, you know, when we say there's a community of generous listeners at WBUR, that's the best, it's the quintessential word for this because it's how communities operate. Everyone does their part. Everyone does what they can. I mean, when you think about a healthy functioning community, it's not, not everybody you know knows how to pave roads or not everybody knows how to grow crops. We all do whatever we can to make the whole, ha, cliche time, more than the sum of its parts. But that's that's what communities do. And that's what we hope the community of generous listeners for WBUR can do for us as we Stare down the end of the road to this fundraiser, and we still have a long ways to go. So call now, if you can, at 1-800-909-9287. This is Laura Dern. If there is a world on the other side of a wall somewhere where artists run free and journalists share a point of view to educate us into alternative opinion and voice, and it's used beautifully— and there's Opera and Sesame Street and National Public Radio, I want to be on that side of the wall. So thank you, National Public Radio. I pray that you're supported forever. We need you. It's how I get my news. It's how I get to know about human behavior. It's how I, thanks to people like Terry Gross, learn about film and invention. And I care deeply about it. And I never, ever want anyone to feel anxiety about losing voice in our uh, beautiful democracy. The truth is that independent journalism is directly tied to democracy. This is an independent station that does not have commercial interest telling us what to say, what to do, how many times to mention a certain uh, product, not to mention a certain issue. We are independent, and we know that's what attracts so many of you to WBUR. That is exactly what we're asking you to pay for right now. Uh, much of much of uh, this stems from the fact that we don't have commercials. We don't want to have advertising. We do have you, which means we're beholden to you above all. So please make your contribution right now. Get it doubled in the last 24 hours of this fund drive. We only have 24 hours to make our goal, and you can help us end it successfully because right now it doesn't look that way. But with your contributions in aggregate, um, we can make it um, by the end of the day tomorrow, which is really what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all humans, too. So so I know that as you walk through your day, there's always that moment that you want to be able to say, hey, what I'm doing right now really matters. Well, this can be that moment. This can definitely be that moment for your day today. Because if you call now and contribute funds to help keep WBOR strong, it really, really matters. There's a dollar-for-dollar match on the table at the moment, so your contribution goes twice as far. But more importantly, you are doing your part to help keep this station, which is committed to the strength and well-being of our collective democracy, you're helping keep WBUR strong. Honestly, right now, I can't think of anything that is easier to do that matters more. So just pick up the phone if you can. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call and donate any amount. 
that you think uh, is worth giving to WBUR, and we will accept it with gratitude and put it to work immediately. Right, Lisa? Absolutely, and we're not out to pinch anybody's budget. Um, So when you make a contribution, we'd feel bad, in fact, if we thought that you were giving up something else so you could make a contribution to us. But we want you to um, please donate in direct proportion to how much you listen to WBUR. Go online at WBUR.org and appreciate what you get from anything, from our newsletters, from our podcasts, from our events at City Space. This is what we're asking you to pay for and every single news story that you'll hear today on WBUR. And tomorrow and the next day, everything has your signature, has your imprint on it because you have made contributions in the past. And the only way we can keep this kind of quality coming is with your contributions now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Please become a monthly sustainer if you can. You will get your contribution matched. If you decide to make an individual gift right now, you will also get it matched. 1-800-909-9287. Or if you prefer, WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Stepping Stone, directly supporting Boston students since 1990 and until all have access to earn a college degree. Learn more at steppingstone.org. And Lessons in Chemistry. Oscar winner Brie Larson stars as a chemist who hosts a cooking show proving life doesn't follow a formula. Streaming October 13th on Apple TV+. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Ari Shapiro. And I'm Juana Summers. Today, more than 75,000 healthcare workers with Kaiser Permanente began a three-day strike. What do we want? Fair contract. When do we want it? Now. Nurses, techs, pharmacists, sanitation workers, and others walked off the job in California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., all in an effort to pressure their employer over staffing shortages. Union leaders say it is the largest health workers' strike in U.S. history. And Kaiser is one of the biggest nonprofit health care providers in the country, serving around 13 million patients. Joining us now is Caroline Lucas, the executive director of the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions. Caroline, welcome. Hi, thank you. I mean, Caroline, healthcare workers have been sounding the alarm over short staffing and staffing issues for a long time now. So just tell us, how bad is it? It's really bad. I don't know if the general public understands just how short-staffed and burned out the average frontline healthcare worker is. I know we, you know, read articles about healthcare workers leaving the field, but what folks aren't uh, understanding necessarily is that that means that the people who are left behind, folks who by and large showed up every day, day and night throughout the pandemic to provide care, are left working double shifts. We have many members working 10, 20, 30 hours a week of overtime. And people are really, really just maxed out. I mean, Kaiser has suggested and said that it's close to reaching a goal of hiring 10,000 more people in roles by the end of this year to fill vacancies. Is that sufficient to solve the problem or what's your response to that? You know, it's a great first step towards a potential solution. But what we are asking for is a comprehensive solution on the short staffing crisis. What Kaiser executives haven't done is figured out the bigger picture on how to solve the short staffing crisis. Do you have concerns about how, with more than 75,000 healthcare workers out on strike, it might impact patient care moving forward during this three-day strike? 
You know, we provide 10 days notice of intent to strike, both because it's a legal obligation for a healthcare workforce, and also because it's an ethical obligation to ensure that Kaiser executives have the time to figure out staffing coverage. We know they bring in much more expensive outside contingency staff to help staff the facilities. And we think it's an unfortunate Band-Aid solution to this problem that could have been solved a different way, but does meet you know, the temporary three-day timeframe staffing needs. Obviously, this is one in a number of labor strikes that we have seen across industries across the country. Are you heartened by, say, the success of the writer's strike, which recently ended? I am, on one hand, heartened by the success of the writer's strike, um, and on the other hand, just saddened that our country has come to the point where so many workers have to take the ultimate action to get needs met, like wages that keep up with the cost of living, the ability to afford to live in the areas where you work. Those sorts of basic demands should not necessitate a strike to resolve. We should just be in a country that says, you know what, healthcare workers are some of the most valuable jobs that there are in our country in terms of service to the broader community. We need to make sure these folks can afford to not work 10, 20, 30 hours a week of overtime and two jobs just to pay their bills. And Caroline, I do want to ask you at this point, where are talks between workers and Kaiser Permanente? Are you all still at the bargaining table? Oh, we are still here. We've been here 24 hours a day, catching naps on couches in the hotel lobby and conference rooms. We are continuing to meet. We've been grateful to have the Secretary of Labor, Julie Sue, here for the last uh, 24 hours or so to help try to bring the parties together. So we've been grateful to to have that guidance and support. We are continuing to meet because this crisis is too important to not get right. That's Caroline Lucas, the executive director of the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions. Caroline, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Kaiser hasn't commented to the press since early this morning before the strike began when they said, in part, quote, we remain committed to reaching a new agreement that continues to provide our employees with market-leading wages, excellent benefits, generous retirement income plans, and valuable professional development opportunities. One of the largest mangrove forestation efforts in the world is in Pakistan. It takes place in the Indus River Delta, an area nearly the size of Rhode Island. Mangroves are a powerhouse of absorbing carbon dioxide, and this project is seen as a test case for how planting on a large scale could help curb global warming. The financing is controversial. NPR's Dia Hadid takes us to the fishing village of Keti Bandar to find out why. Ranger Muhammad Jamali boats us through mangrove forests of the Indus River Delta. Birds flutter about. Insects dart around mangrove roots that poke like fingers out of the mud. It looks ancient, but it's only five years old. Has this all been replanted by you guys? Yes, yes. It's a day-night contrast to the parts that haven't been restored yet. They're dusty and dry. The Indus River Delta withered after Pakistan built dams upstream decades ago that cut off the water and silt that these wetlands, including mangroves, needed to survive. Over gusty winds, Jamali says, reforestation began here two decades ago after a cyclone ripped up this area and killed dozens. It drove home how important the mangrove forests are as a buffer protecting coastal communities from the sea. First natural defence line, the mangrove. He says mangroves were the first natural defence line 
and they were gone. A Pakistani environmentalist, Tahir Qureshi, who passed away three years ago, transplanted mangrove species that need less fresh water because this delta now has so little of it. That reforestation dramatically and rapidly expanded after 2015. It now covers an area of some 350,000 hectares. And now these mangroves are expected to absorb some 142 million tonnes of carbon dioxide over the next 60 years. Jamali jumps out of the boat to show me how they're expanding the forests. Workers snap off things that look like spears off the mangrove trees. This is a parapegul because it is a germinated. Basically, it's a baby tree that drops off the mother tree. The workers harvest them and plant them elsewhere. That scale of reforestation takes years and costs millions. It's only happening because a company called Delta Blue Carbon put up the money and partnered with the government. They're doing this because mangroves can absorb two to ten times the amount of carbon dioxide that a regular forest can. Dr Catherine Lovelock is a leading expert on mangroves. She explains it this way. They sequester carbon through their roots and into the soil as well as above ground. Sequestering carbon dioxide? like holding carbon. That tangle of mud and roots you see around mangrove forests is holding carbon dioxide. That means even though mangroves represent only a tiny proportion of the world's forests... They do this very big job per hectare. And Delta Blue Carbon is selling that carbon removal service as credits. Put simply, if you emit a tonne of carbon dioxide, you can offset that by paying someone else to remove a tonne of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere for you. That's a carbon removal credit or an offset. The company Delta Blue Carbon has sold two lots of credits so far and the government says it's received $40 million, big money in a poor country. It is paying money by generating a revenue. Consultant ecologist Rafael Haq tells me the money is a powerful incentive for the government to protect and restore mangroves. Otherwise, they'd be under pressure to let developers in for shrimp farms or seaside homes. Haq says there's another benefit. Auditors must evaluate the company's progress before they can sell more carbon credits. So this is a blessing for us. We have to present ourselves as a good boy. The good boy. Like, there can't be any fudging, like doing a shoddy job of the replanting. But this solution is controversial. The carbon credit industry has many critics. Like late-night show host John Oliver. Our main story tonight concerns Earth. It's basically the Oscar Isaac of planets in that it seems to be getting alarmingly hotter every year. Oliver cites reports that older projects exaggerated their claims to be absorbing carbon. And when you buy an offset so you can pollute more, and that offset is you're now actively making things worse. Some scientists and environmentalists describe the carbon credit industry as a licence to pollute. Even if the carbon credits are credible, they argue it takes pressure off industries to cut their own carbon pollution. But still, investors are excited in the potential that mangroves offer. A major group that registers these projects says there's now about a dozen similar projects in the pipeline. Back in Kedibundo, 
There's a fishing hut near the jetty. There, Gulzamir shakes freshly caught blue crabs into freezer boxes for market. He says crab, shrimp and fish have been returning in greater numbers as the mangroves have expanded. He says a few years ago, his family could only eat one meal a day. Now it's three and they're even eating meat. He pats his belly. That's where he measures the difference. Dear Hadid, NPR News, Kedi Bundar. Support for NPR's Climate Week, a search for solutions, comes from Proven Winners with Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs, offering a varied selection of species to bring year-round interest to landscapes and gardens. ProvenWinnersColorChoice.com slash Native Shrubs. This is 90.9 WBUR. Stocks got a lift today on Wall Street. The Dow grew by nearly four-tenths of a percent. S&P rose eight-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq picked up about one and three-tenths of a percent. Another nice evening, 74 degrees now. Partly cloudy overnight tonight, should fall to about 60. And tomorrow, sunglasses in order once again. Mostly sunny skies, highs about 77. Looks as if the sun takes off after that for a couple days. Clouds move on a Friday, could stick around for Saturday. 77, or make that 74 degrees now in Boston at 525. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Comcast Business, providing gig speed Wi-Fi to help take businesses to the next level. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. And Vertex, working for people with sickle cell and genetic kidney diseases, cystic fibrosis, and more. Careers in research and cell and genetic therapies at vrtx.com. What are the biggest threats to democracy? Well, misinformation, voter suppression, and how about the steep decline of local journalism? I'm Elsa Chang. WBUR and NPR believe that public media is the enduring future of local reporting. But we won't win the fight on our own. We need more member dollars to be your eyes and ears when important decisions are made, to bring more diverse voices into the conversation, and to be the ones to hold power to account. Become a member today at WBUR.org. And thank you if you've already become a member or if you've added to your pledge in the past. If you haven't, this is the time because we are behind in our fundraiser. It's ending whether or not we make the goal. It's ending tomorrow night at the end of the day. So we're asking you please to do your part because you listen, you go online at WBUR.org. Whatever you get from WBUR, give a little back right now. We're asking you not to make our entire budget. We know you can't do that. We're asking for your contribution in whatever proportion you you listen to WBUR, whatever we add to your life, put a dollar figure on that and help us catch up in this fun drive so we don't come up short tomorrow when the fundraiser is over. I'm Lisa Mullins with Magna Chucker Party. Our phone number 1-800-909-9287 or go online at WBUR.org. And we have only a hair over 90 minutes left on that dollar for dollar match today. So really take advantage of it. Call now with your contribution, whether monthly or one time. No matter the amount it is, it will be matched dollar for dollar, and that will help tremendously getting us closer to our fall fundraising goal, because we are, as Lisa said, quite far away from it right now. one 800 
909-9287. That's the number to call. Have you ever wondered how you would feel if tomorrow you woke up and public radio was just gone? Oh, man. That would be tough. I think it would be devastating. Well, I would grieve because there would be no replacement for it. We asked listeners around the country that very question. I've been listening to NPR for a long time. So NPR has been a giant part of my life. And I would be devastated if it wasn't there anymore. It would be a very depressing ride to work. I don't know if there's enough cups of coffee in the world that would be able to get me over that. There, there really is nothing else like it. We donate, but there's a lot of people out there that listen that probably don't donate. And I think uh, that's a really great thing to put into perspective is how would you feel? There's an easy way to feel good about public radio and the financial health of your station. Just support it. Really, do it right now. Call or go online. Your tax-deductible contribution will help ensure public radio isn't going anywhere. It'll be here when you turn on your radio tomorrow. And thanks. Thank you so much. Again, if you've already contributed, if not, do it now. 24 hours is what we have left, a little over 24 hours in this fund drive. And we really, really want to make our goal because when we have enough that we're feeling fortified for the year to come, you benefit from that. Um, we, that that helps not only the community, but you as an individual as well, because you're more informed. You hear about climate change stories. This week, we have devoted time on NPR and WBUR for climate solutions. It's not all bad news. It's not hopeless. So we hope, just like with that story you heard about how Pakistan is planting mangroves and improving fish catches, earning carbon credits, and you heard individual stories of families that are helped out by what's going on. That's the reality as much as the bad news is the reality. So make your pledge of support for the kind of news that you get on WBUR that is not out to alarm you or scare you. It's out to edify you. And we hope that right now you appreciate that in the terms of your support to keep that kind of news coming. Get your pledge matched only for another 90 minutes. one 800 909 9287wbur.org. Again, it's worth reiterating, there's only 90 minutes left in that dollar-for-dollar match that's on the table right now. Please don't let us leave money on the table. Generous listeners want to help even more. They want to help you double your contribution. You just have to take advantage of it sometime in the next hour and a half. So instead of waiting, why don't you do it now? 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. Remember, again... That real talk. We're behind where we need to be in order to successfully finish this follow-up fundraiser in about 24 hours. 90 minutes left on the match that could help us get to where we need to be by this time tomorrow. But call us, 800-980-excuse me, 909-9287. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Raymond James, a firm focused on transforming lives, businesses, and communities through tailored wealth management, banking, and capital market solutions. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at AlignProbiotics.com. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. Healthcare workers at hundreds of Kaiser Permanente hospitals and medical facilities walked off the job today. 
Citing a staffing shortage that's only intensified since the start of the pandemic, it's the largest healthcare strike in history with over 75,000 nurses, ER technicians, pharmacists, and others walking off the job for three days. NPR's Daniel Kay has been covering the strike in Virginia. In the days leading up to the strike and today, what I've been hearing is understaffing is at the heart of this strike. Healthcare workers feel really overworked without the support they need, and they say the staffing crisis is affecting their well-being and the quality of patient care. Their unions are alleging Kaiser executives have been engaged in bad faith bargaining to resolve staffing issues. The three-day strike runs through Saturday morning, impacting Kaiser facilities in California, Colorado, Oregon, Virginia, Washington State, as well as Washington, D.C. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and five other senators plan to visit China in the coming days amid high tension between the two countries. As NPR's John Ruwich tells us, Schumer plans to press for improvements to the environment in China for U.S. businesses. Schumer's office says he'll focus on the need for reciprocity in China for U.S. businesses to level the playing field for American workers and on maintaining U.S. leadership in advanced technologies. Human rights, fentanyl, and China's role in the international community will also be on the table. Schumer is a longstanding critic of Beijing, but the trip comes after a flurry of visits to China by senior Biden administration officials, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. China's foreign ministry says it hopes the visit will enhance Congress's, quote, objective understanding of China promote dialogue and exchanges between the legislatures of the two countries and inject some positivity into China-U.S. relations. John Ruich, NPR News, Beijing. This is NPR. And this is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. The Boston City Council has approved millions of dollars in new funding for the police department's controversial intelligence gathering arm. As WBUR's Walter Wuthman reports, progressive councilors are accusing Mayor Michelle Wu of backtracking on police reform. A majority of councillors voted to approve the mayor's request to send $3.4 million in grants to the Boston Regional Intelligence Center. Civil liberties advocates say the center disproportionately surveils minority communities, an accusation that's being investigated by the state attorney general. Councillor Kendra Lara pointed out that Wu helped block one of these same grants as a city councillor. We are moving backwards on police reform. It is 2023 and this body is moving backwards on police reform. Wu says the police department and its intelligence center have more oversight now than two years ago. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Walter Wuthman. Lawmakers at the Statehouse overwhelmingly passed a bill today that would require Massachusetts companies with 25 or more employees to include a salary range on job postings. Advocates say providing salary information would help close gender and racial wage gaps. No word on when the Senate will take up the measure. A Boston University ecologist has won a MacArthur Fellowship, the so-called Genius Grant. Professor Lucy Hutira, who studies cities and climate change, was one of 20 fellows chosen this year. Here's WBR's Barbara Moran. Lucy Hutira explores how cities live and breathe, how they heat and cool themselves, how they absorb and give off greenhouse gases. In Boston, her work has looked at urban forests, leaky gas lines, and the roofs of triple-deckers. She says she'll probably use the grant to dig deeper into urban climate solutions. What inspires me every day is to be working in a place where there is such an appetite for innovation and change and improvement, and that's what cities represent to me. Hutira is one of four MacArthur Fellows from Massachusetts this year. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Barbara Moran. It's 535. 
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Harvard Institute for Learning and Retirement. Join a vibrant academic community, enjoy in-person peer-led courses on their Cambridge campus, speaker events, special interest groups, and more. Apply by October 25th to start in February. To learn more, visit their website, the Harvard Institute for Learning in Retirement. New England Patriots have reacquired cornerback J.C. Jackson from the L.A. Chargers. Jackson spent four seasons with the Pats before he joined the Chargers as a free agent in 2022. Got another nice evening ahead, 74 degrees now, partly cloudy tonight, down around 60. Then for tomorrow, another sunny and dry day, 77 degrees for a high. This is WBUR. Support for NPR comes from the station and from Fidelity Investments. A dedicated advisor can help create a wealth plan for a full financial picture. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. From Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from a single platform. Learn more at indeed.com slash NPR. And from the sustaining members of this NPR station. This is All Things Considered. From NPR News, I'm Ari Shapiro. And I'm Juana Summers. A day after the House of Representatives voted to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, the chamber is frozen. Candidates to replace McCarthy as Speaker are already campaigning for the job, but without someone in the post, lawmakers are concerned no work can get done. NPR congressional correspondent Deirdre Walsh joins us now from the Capitol. Deirdre, I know you have been staying busy. Tell us what can actually happen in the House if there is no Speaker. Not very much. I mean, the House is essentially paralyzed and nobody seems to know, at least in the short term, how the House of Representatives can actually function. Right now, North Carolina Republican Patrick McHenry is the interim speaker. As the speaker pro tem, McHenry was appointed essentially to preside over the election of a new speaker. That's supposed to happen next week. But there's a lot of concern that it could take some time for House Republicans to sort of sort out a way forward. One of McHenry's top allies, Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves, suggested McHenry might be in the job for weeks. The authority of the speaker pro tem, Patrick McHenry, is, is this is untested. There is not a manual. There's not a book. This has never been done before. The plan is for House Republicans to hold a candidate forum next Tuesday to allow people to make their case why they should be elected speaker. And they plan to vote next Wednesday. Okay, and I understand that there are already two quite familiar names who are running to replace McCarthy as speaker. Tell us about them. Right. And both are very conservative. House Judiciary Committee uh, Chairman Jim Jordan is running. For years, Jordan has been sort of a thorn in the side of Republican leaders. He founded the House Freedom Caucus, which is a group of far-right conservatives, essentially to sort of poke at Republican leaders. But Jordan has ended up developing a very close relationship with Kevin McCarthy. He's been leading the investigations into the Biden administration and impeachment. He's also very close to former President Trump. The other candidate so far is House Majority Leader Steve Scalia. He's the current number two in the House Republican leadership lineup. He's very well liked. He's also gone through a lot personally. Mm -hmm. He was shot at a practice of House Republicans uh, on the baseball team in 2017 and almost died. And recently he's been treated for multiple myeloma, which is a form of blood cancer. But Scalise says he's up to the job. There's one other name, Oklahoma, Oklahoma Republican Kevin Hearn potentially may run. He heads up a large group of fiscal conservatives. And Deirdre, I mean, I do not have to tell you this, but there is a whole lot at stake in Congress right now, and it's the speaker who ultimately decides what bills get up 
for a vote in the House. Funding for Ukraine is one of those things, I understand. What might possibly happen now? Right. I mean, Kevin McCarthy backed aid for Ukraine, but his successor may not. There's still bipartisan support in both the House and Senate to give more money for Ukraine, but there's a big split among House Republicans. Jim Jordan opposed funding in a recent vote, and he's argued it's really not a top priority. The most pressing issue on Americans' minds is not Ukraine. It is the border situation and it's crime on the streets, and everybody knows that. Senate Republicans who support Ukraine are already worried about the situation and trying to come up with a solution. Uh, Deirdre, Congress just passed a bill to avoid a government shutdown, but temporary funding runs out quite soon, November 17th. Do you think there will be a new speaker by then? I mean, a lot of House Republicans want it to happen quickly. One House Republican I talked to said it needs to happen next week. The sooner, the better. A lot of them want to avoid that really messy fight we saw play out on the floor in January, where it took four days and 15 ballots to elect McCarthy. But the new speaker does start out with this huge task of avoiding another government shutdown. And after McCarthy was tossed out for working with Democrats, there's talk about changing that rule that allowed just one member to file a resolution to remove the speaker. If that's still in place, there's really zero incentive for any new Republican speaker to work across the aisle. NPR's Deirdre Walsh. Deirdre, thank you. Thanks, Juana. The U.S. Forest Service is in charge of millions of acres in Colorado's mountains, but their staff can hardly afford to live there anymore. That's the impetus for a first-in-the-nation housing development on Forest Service land high in the ski resort communities of the Rockies. Colorado Public Radio's Andrew Kenny reports. Evergreen forests streaked with golden aspen groves cling to the steep slopes around the Rocky Mountain town of Dillon. But Forest Service Supervisor Scott Fitzwilliams is visiting one of his agency's more mundane properties. It's a depot filled with shipping containers for equipment as well as old sheds and decades-old wooden cabins nestled in the trees. The views of the high country are great, but the place is kind of falling apart. It is not the Taj Mahal, it is not the Regis, that's for sure. These are pretty primitive and the standard, we need to improve it. We're asking a lot for folks to live in this kind of conditions at 9,000 feet elevation in the middle of winters. It symbolizes a big problem for Fitzwilliams. Facing the choice of exorbitant rent or beat up housing in these mountain towns, or sometimes both, a lot of job candidates are starting to turn down coveted posts with the Forest Service. People are declining permanent job offers at about 56%, so more than half of the time we offer a job, people are saying, would love to, but I can't afford it. I need housing. Fitzwilliam says the service doesn't have the money to solve that problem, but they've got something else, lots of land. The Forest Service is about to sign a lease that will transform this hilltop property. It's a collaboration between the federal agency, local governments, and a private developer. It'll add nearly 200 affordable housing units to the site. Summit County Commissioner Tamara Pogue, It'll be the first development in the nation that leases U.S. Forest Service land for affordable housing development. Teachers, firefighters, and other middle-income workers can apply to live here, too. Forest Service land manager Anna Bankson. And then if we're looking down toward the west on the site, you will see the housing development. So multi-story buildings with one, two, and three bedroom configurations mixed in with some green space and a community center and public transit and a rec path coming through. Local governments want to support the Forest Service workforce, which is vital to rural and resort economies and meet the community's wider housing needs, too. In 2018, Congress agreed to let the agency try this model. The town of Dillon will be the first place it actually happens. 
Forest Supervisor Scott Fitzwilliams stresses these projects cannot happen in the places where you might imagine hunting, skiing, fishing, or even logging. It's only allowed at a handful of spots in Fitzwilliams White River National Forest that the agency has already set aside for stuff like offices and maintenance sheds. It might be 40, 50 acres uh, that we would consider something like this over in the forest is 2.4 million. So obviously very small part of it. Some already want to see that scope expanded. County Commissioner Pogue suggests Congress could allow development on Forest Service land that's wooded and yet less than pristine. Maybe it's been hemmed in by roads and development. But Pogue knows that talk of using more federal land for affordable housing could spark a backlash. Some of the toughest fights in Summit County are the ones where you have a need for affordable housing, but there's also a need for open space. And so there's always a tension. This first Forest Service housing project is scheduled to break ground next summer. Other cities and states are watching closely, waiting to see how this new state and federal partnership plays out in Colorado and just how supportive the public really is. For NPR News, I'm Andrew Kenny in Dillon, Colorado. I'm Deepar Fernandez. The crisis in journalism has been chronicled many times over. The pandemic and current economic conditions hasten the decline. Most of the focus has been on newspapers, but even WBUR's own future is far from assured. That's why we need more members and member dollars. Giving $10 or $20 every month is the single best thing you can do to keep our journalism going. Give monthly at WBUR.org. And thank you. Thank you so much, especially give right now because we've got uh, just about 24 hours left in the fund drive. We are behind. We are unfortunately way behind. We hate saying that, but that is the truth. And we're hoping that you, with your individual pledge right now, will call 1-800-909-9287 or go online at WBUR.org and get your pledge matched, which is going to happen for about another uh, hour 15 minutes and this when you call this is something that is going to apply to you whether you give a monthly gift to us and we hope you will or give an individual gift we hope you will do that as well 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org we're so grateful for your support I have a very 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 fortunate life and fortunate job. And Lisa, this probably happens to you too, but listeners sometimes come up to me and they say, I listen to WBUR every day. I listen to you. And, and it feels like you're my friend. Well, that we're friends. And you know, I don't mind that at all. Because in fact, I mean, this this is what listeners with big, beautiful, warm hearts are, are sharing about how important WBUR is to them. And I would agree. We are all in a kind of fellowship. We're in a fellowship of people who believe to the marrow of our bones in the importance of journalism that you can trust, of information that's factual and accurate, of how wonderful interviews can open your minds to how other people around the world live. That is a fellowship of belief uh, in things that matter. So if you're part of that and if you feel like a friend to WBUR or WBUR feels like a friend to you, help us now because we need to really push to meet our fundraising goal. We're nowhere near where we want to be. It's time for you to step up. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, 
promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision and hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose. Work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to the station today. Your contribution in whatever amount means so much to us. We really cannot do it without you because we rely on you for the vast majority of our operating budget. This is a service. We are serving the individual, as you heard Steve Inskeep say right there. There is, and Magna, I'm sure this is true over in the On Point uh, office over there on the other side of WBUR, that there is never a show, there's never a story that we undertake where we don't first talk about the listener and what the listener is going to get out of it. And so this is not kind of a vanity project on our our Mm -hmm. part. We are looking to give you something that's going to uh, entertain you, edify you, make you more curious, give you a deeper understanding of an issue going on. And we hope that because you listen to it, and you appreciate it clearly or you wouldn't be listening, you'll support it right now. We are behind in this fund drive. It's ending tomorrow, whether or not we make the goal. We hope you'll help us make it by calling 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org, if you'd rather go online and pledge. Lisa, you're exactly right. I mean, we always ask ourselves, we are requesting that listeners spend time with us. Right. And time is the one thing in life we never get back. So we have to make it worth every minute of folks time when they listen to WBR, when they listen to On Point. We are driven by that mission, but we need your help in order to keep the station financially healthy so that we can continue that mission. And we really have to work hard to get closer to our goal for our fall fundraiser. We need everybody's help. Right now, there's a dollar-for-dollar match on the table with one quick phone call, one quick visit to our website. You can effectively make your contribution twice as large and twice as strong for WBUR, but it ends, that match ends at 7 o'clock, so you've got to call now, 1-800-909-9287. We, as Magni was saying, take our mission quite seriously, and we hope you take our request for your contribution so we can complete that mission quite seriously right now, 1-800-909-9287, or WBUR.org. Get your pledge matched for the next hour and 10 minutes. Thank you so much. WBUR supporters include Lauren Holleran with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty in Cambridge, real estate brokerage that is grounded in data and committed to thoughtful design, laurenholleran.com, and La Cuchara Cafe in Melrose, offering modern Latin American fare in a new food truck available for catering and events, online booking at lacuchara.com.
This is WBUR's All Things Considered. I'm Lisa Mullins. An MIT professor is celebrating a huge award for his discoveries surrounding teeny tiny particles that are used in electronics and medicine. Munji Buwendi won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry today. The nanoparticles he helped develop are called quantum dots. Buwendi is sharing the Nobel with Louis Bruce of Columbia University and Alexei Ekimov of Nanocrystals Technology in New York. We spoke with Buwendi earlier today, and he told us about an early experience with failure. He scored only 20% on his first chemistry exam at Harvard. He says it happened for two reasons. One, I didn't study enough. I didn't know how to study. And the second is I I was my first exam at a university, and I froze. Well, at Harvard, one can understand that. We should say after that, you did pretty well. I did okay after that, yes. <laughs> say so. <laughs> that, right. that first experience was... Uh, <laughs> was quite something. Uh, well, humility always always helps in life, I think. So you and your two fellow chemistry laureates are being awarded for your work with nanoparticles uh, and known as quantum dots. You're getting this question a lot today. What are they? They're uh, really, really tiny pieces of semiconductors that have properties that are um, in between those of molecules and, and, and what you might have in your computer as a bulk piece of silicon. Uh, and these new properties is what gives rise to you know, the, the excitement that we have today with the material. Because when you can get them very tiny, they take on different properties that allow you to do everything, and I'm way oversimplifying this, but to make TV screens brighter and more brilliant, make solar panels more efficient, make smart devices smaller and faster. Is that correct? Um, yeah, in that direction. Right now, it's really the TV screens. You can tune properties in a way that you can't do with just bulk materials with simply changing their size a little bit or changing their composition a little bit. So it gives you knobs to turn that you wouldn't have otherwise. And, and when, you, when you're able to do that, then suddenly, you know, you can think of applications that are possible that uh, you might not have thought of before. And there's a medical application as well. So yeah, one of the first applications, because they're, uh, they emit light when you shine blue light on them, they emit light of different colors depending on their size. The first commercial application was as um, markers for cells. They're small enough that you can use them to bind to different parts of cells or to uh, image uh, in vivo imaging and research to learn about biology. And Professor, if you could just pull back the curtain a little bit on this, um, your fellow laureates, have you worked directly with them toward these ends, or is this work that you're doing individually and you all just happen to be under the same umbrella of, of uh, research into quantum dots? No, I, I was a postdoctoral fellow with Lou Bruce at Bell Labs, and uh, I was there at the right time, and when I came to MIT was with my graduate students is when we developed a process to make the particles to be very uniform, which changed our ability to really study the material and eventually led to the ability to apply the material. I wonder what you say to students. You know, we began this talking about how you failed your very first chemistry test in college. You hadn't studied enough. The, the rest of your career, as with the career, I think, in any kind of research area, involves, you know, acceleration and then disappointment, acceleration and disappointment. What do you say to some of your students about the trajectory of their work? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of perseverance, 
And sometimes, you know, you'll work for a few years without seeing any results at all. And then the results come maybe just in a few weeks and suddenly it happens. So, you know, believing in the endpoint uh, and just, you know, when things don't work, learning how to solve problems and go maybe a little slightly different direction. And given that this uh, field of research is large, I mean, there are standouts such as you and your fellow laureates. Is it really a surprise to you that you won the uh, Nobel Prize in Chemistry? Well, I mean, the, the reality is that, you know, it's a community. You know, it could have been awarded to many other people. So, I mean, there's a list that's long, and it's really unfortunate that the prize is given to three people because it <laughs> fails to recognize the contributions of many others in this field. It's not that unfortunate. Let's let's face it. When you become a laureate, um, although you're giving you're giving credit to a lot of people who obviously contribute to the work and will continue to as well. I just want to thank you so much, and I hope that your work continues to inspire other people. And just want to remind you not to forget to update your resume. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Munji Buendi of MIT, so nice to talk to you. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Goddard House in Brookline, an innovative senior community for those seeking meaning, growth, and purpose in each and every day. GoddardHouse.org. I'm Tiziana Deering. At WBUR, our job goes beyond reporting the news. We also help make sense of an increasingly complex world. We foster understanding, build community, and when we can, we spark joy and laughter. But as we look forward, we know our future's not a given. Giving monthly, it is key to keeping WBUR strong. So help us get to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. Please do it if you haven't yet. We have so many people who have indeed started a monthly gift during this fund drive, and we are so grateful for you. The truth is we are behind in our goal. The fundraiser is ending tomorrow at the end of the day tomorrow. It's going to be ending even even if we don't meet our goals. So we don't want to come up short. We know that you don't as well because you already have an investment in your time and perhaps your finances in WBUR. So help us right now. If you've yet to make a gift, then please do it right now and get it matched only for about the next hour and four minutes. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Magna Chakrabarty. And Lisa, as you said a little bit earlier, in just a moment, I have to head downstairs to WBR City Space to have a terrific conversation with Steve Inskeep about his new book about Abraham Lincoln. So I'm sort Meg of. Meg has not done enough today. <laughs> she's fundraising. She did her show earlier, and now she's going to go down to talk to Steve Inskeep. Well, it, it's a joy to. She's so lazy. It's a joy to do it, but I'm in a Lincoln esque state of mind. And so I was thinking, I, it's time for us to appeal to the better angels of our nature, of, our natures, oh. of the of the better angels of our listeners' nature, of your nature out there, because we keep saying this because it's, it's real. It's absolutely true. We are well behind. It pains me to say it, but I have to face the truth. We're well behind where we need to be to complete our fall fundraiser successfully tomorrow. We've got 24 hours to do a whole lot of work, but we can do it if you just do your part now. It is not insurmountable if we all do it together. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. And if you do it now, you also get that dollar for dollar match, which will double the impact of what you can do to help WBUR. This is Anne-Marie Sievertson, co-host of the WBUR podcast, Endless Thread. 
For thousands of people across greater Boston and beyond, WBUR is a lifeline, a reliable, trusted source of news, facts, analysis, and truth. When you support WBUR, you strengthen and extend that lifeline. You protect WBUR as a resource for a whole community of listeners who rely on us. Becoming a supporter of WBUR means that every story, every interview, every second of breaking news, and every moment of joy you hear, you made that possible. You gave that to everyone who turns to WBUR to help them understand our region, our nation, and our world. So please, go to WBUR.org and make a contribution to WBUR for yourself and for your community, for someone who might not be able to give. You are our lifeline. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Just an hour to go to get your pledge matched. This, as Amory was saying there, is not a meaningless exercise, these fundraisers, because you really are our lifeline. You listen to us. You go to WBUR.org. You read the newsletters, which are extremely popular. Maybe you listen to our podcast. Maybe you join us at City Space for events like the one that Megna has coming up tonight with Steve Inskeep. Because you take advantage of WBUR, hopefully you understand that we rely on you for funding. We're not sending you a bill. We're not asking you to meet a paywall. We are asking you to give what you can, and we hope you will do that right now as we count our way down in this fund drive. We really want to and need to end it successfully. It's ending tomorrow evening. Don't let it end without you, and don't let us come up short toward our goal. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Fisher Investments. As a fiduciary, Fisher Investments is obligated to act in their client's best interest. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. From United Airlines, on a mission to do good in the air and committed to achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Learn more at united.com. From Easy Cater, committed to helping companies find food for meetings and team lunches. With catering menus from restaurants nationwide, online ordering, and 24-7 live support. EasyCater.com. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. I'm Chief Content Officer Victor Hernandez. This is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston. 92.7 WBUA Tisbury and 89.1 WBUH Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. President Biden says he will deliver a major address to try to persuade the American people that continued support for Ukraine is in the national interest. As NPR's Tamara Keith explains, additional funding for Ukraine's war effort is in doubt after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's ouster. President Biden says the existing funding for Ukraine will run out soon and Congress needs to act. But at least one of the candidates for House Speaker has already said he opposes a additional funding for Ukraine. The path to getting that funding approved is now quite unclear. Here's Biden. It does worry me, and but I know there are a majority of members of the House and Senate in both parties who have said that they support funding Ukraine. 
but support alone isn't enough to get a bill on the House floor. Biden said he intends to deliver remarks soon, arguing it is in the overwhelming interest of the United States for Ukraine to succeed in its fight to defend itself from Russia. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. The stunning removal of Kevin McCarthy from his speaker's role in the House has left the body essentially rudderless with no quick fix looming. The process of choosing a successor is expected to begin in earnest next week. Already in the running are Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan. Still not clear if any of those candidates, however, will be able to win the number of votes needed to assume the post. Los Angeles County is testing a first-of-its-kind program that uses artificial intelligence to try to prevent homelessness. As NPR's Jennifer Ludden explains, the idea is to reach out and help people before they lose housing. The program collects data from seven county agencies, things like ER visits and arrests, and predicts who's most likely to land on the street. Case managers then cold call people, offering four to $6,000 to be spent on whatever they need most. Retired handyman Ricky Brown says it is a lifesaver. When he suddenly had to take in three grandsons, it put him in the hole on rent and utilities. I had a little money put away, but boy, did I tell you if I went through it, you know, because these kids eat. UCLA's California Policy Lab created the program's analytics, and it's testing to see if it can keep people housed long term. Jennifer Ludden, NPR News, Los Angeles. Former President Donald Trump made a brief appearance today at the third day of his civil trial in New York. Notwithstanding a limited gag order put in place by the judge overseeing the case, Trump continued to complain about the case and his treatment. The suit filed by New York Attorney General Letitia James accuses Trump and his company of inflating the value of Trump's real estate holdings in an effort to get more favorable rates from banks and insurers. Stocks gained ground on Wall Street today. The Dow was up 127 points to close at 33,129. The Nasdaq rose 176 points. The S&P 500 gained 34 points. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Governor Maura Healey has signed a tax reform package into law. The measure provides additional tax credits for parents, renters, and senior citizens. It also cuts short-term capital gains taxes. The new law is expected to provide about $561 million in tax relief this fiscal year and a billion dollars annually starting in fiscal year 2027. Nurses in Massachusetts are asking for a new state law to help prevent violence in the workplace. Several health care workers gave testimony today at the Statehouse in favor of a bill backed by the Massachusetts Nurses Association and other unions that represent health care workers. The proposed law would require health care facilities to implement programs to minimize the risk of workplace violence for employees and for patients. Somerville's Union Square is getting a redesign after a five-year public process to seek input on the design. The plan will add more than 1.3 acres of open space and create additional bus and bike lanes. Construction may start before the end of the year. The forecast is coming up. WBUR supporters include the Pew Charitable Trusts, sharing how communities are restoring trust and solving problems on the After the Fact podcast, available at pewtrust.org slash after the fact. Another nice evening, 74 degrees in Boston tonight, partial, partial cloudiness, temperatures about 60 degrees. Then for tomorrow, sunglasses for one more day, bright skies, highs about 77 degrees. And then for Friday, clouds move in with temperatures down around 70 in the 70s, and we could have some rain move in for Saturday. This is WBUR. It's 6.06.
We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Fall Experience, featuring four dynamic ballets. On stage October 5th to the 15th, tickets at bostonballet.org. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Many of our listeners tell us WBUR is essential in their lives. They say WBUR makes the world a better and more informed place. We're the news source they trust most. We want to be here for the long term, but our future isn't guaranteed. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. You can do that right now. In fact, we hope you will because we have a match on the table only for one more hour. Actually, it's about 55 more minutes. WBUR.org. If you go there, you can make a pledge or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Lisa Mullins with Jay Clayton. And we need to take a big run at this goal between now and the end of this match at at, uh, 7 o'clock. So we hope you will jump in with whatever you can comfortably give to WBUR. Be that $10 a month that will be doubled to $20 a month for a year. 20 is doubled to 40. The math is simple. The impact is powerful. You can also give $1,000, and that will be doubled to $2,000. But again, this match ends at 7 o'clock, so very little time to get in. We just need a couple of minutes and whatever you can comfortably give to help us meet our goal by the end of this fundraiser tomorrow night. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call, and you can give at WBUR.org. This is Ira Glass of This American Life from Public Radio International. One of the things that makes public radio different is the way that it's funded. We have the most idealistic system, the fairest system, the best system in the world. That is, those of us who listen all the time, those of us who like the kinds of stories and shows and analysis and music and authors that are on this radio station every day, those of us who like that kind of thing, we all pitch in together, and that's how it stays on the air. Public radio equals public support. If you can help out, give a call. The number to call, 1-800-909-9287. Again, that's 1-800-909-9287. We are still considerably behind where we need to be to end the fundraiser on goal. It will end tomorrow night, the fundraiser. We will do that no matter what, but we are really counting on you to chip in what you can. You can tell from listening to WBUR how important real solid journalism is with everything that's happened in Washington this week in the House of Representatives courthouse in New York where a former former president, uh, Donald Trump, is on trial for uh, business fraud. These are big stakes. And not only that, covering as well as we can everything going on right where we live, the national stories that have local implications, the the local implications of national stories goes in both directions. And we need your help to fund it all with whatever you can comfortably give. We've got a match on the table dollar for dollar for your monthly gift or your one-time gift, but that match ends in just 51 minutes. So make the most of what you can give, what you can do for WBUR. 1-800-909-9287 
or WBUR.org. We heard Ira Glass there talking about the transparency, the transparent system that we have in public radio. Uh, and when you think about it, when you give, when you make a donation to WBUR, as we hope you will right now, um, there's no reason for you to say, I don't know where the money's going. I mean, I just I just make a check, they ask for it, and I give as much as I can. And yeah, you hear it all the time Yeah, where it's you, going. You, you hear it all the time where it's going. You see it at WBUR.org, at events at City Space. Uh, you hear it in our podcasts. You read it in our uh, newsletters. It is so completely transparent. You get it in the stories about what's happening in the House right now and who's in the running to take the place of Kevin McCarthy. You hear it in the Climate Solutions series that we have this week. It's not all bad news in terms of the climate. There are things that are being done, and we're telling you about them. You hear it in Jennifer Ludden's story about artificial intelligence predicting, in some cases, preventing homelessness. These are the kinds of stories that represent what's really happening out there, and we hope that that's the reason you listen, even if you don't kind of put it into words. We hope that you appreciate us for stories like that and now will help us pay for it because it's you that makes up the operating budget, the majority of our operating budget. So every gift helps. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And every gift is doubled. We would love to hear from you right now. Some members of the Murrow Society here at WBUR, they gave their money to match yours because they want to make sure that we get to this goal by the time we get to the end of this fundraiser tomorrow night, and we are still a good distance away from it. So please step in with a contribution of 15 or $20 a month will be doubled for a year, $30 a month doubled for a year, $100 a month doubled for a year. $1,000 doubled for a year if you have the means to do that. This is the time to do it because it will become $2,000, your money and the matching money, putting it together to fund this journalism for all of us. 1-800-909-9287 is the number. The website is WBUR.org. The time is now because there's only 49 minutes left in this match, Lisa. So please make the call right now. Go online right now. It is a simple process, but it means so much to us. You hear the results every day. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. Thank you. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Ari Shapiro. Call it history-making, call it chaos, call it uncharted territory. Congress has never been here before. The Republican-led House of Representatives is without a speaker after a group of eight Republicans joined Democrats to remove Kevin McCarthy from his leadership role yesterday. McCarthy said he has no regrets. I leave the speakership with a sense of pride, accomplishment, and yes, optimism. His fireable offense, reaching across the aisle to avoid a government shutdown over the weekend. We are joined now by one of the eight Republicans who joined with all of the Democrats to vote McCarthy out. Matt Rosendale is a GOP member of Congress from Montana. Thanks for being here. Welcome to All Things Considered. Thanks for having me on today, Ari. I appreciate it. To start with the simplest question, why did you vote to remove a speaker of your own party? Well, the uh, fireable offense wasn't working with Democrats, and I would also refuse to accept the premise that we're plunged into chaos without a speaker. Okay, we have a very capable uh, speaker pro tem in Patrick McHenry from North Carolina. Well, let's start with the fireable offense. What was it? What was the fireable offense 
was the uh, desire and, and the actions of the speaker over the last nine months as he continued to violate the uh, trust and confidence of the conference. We started off after he was elected speaker in January with a, uh, a group of individuals that was working extremely hard to pass the most conservative agenda that we possibly could. And we saw that in the form of H.R. 1, the domestic energy legislation. We saw that in H.R. So 2. So you, as, as you argue, things were getting done. And I understand that the leader your party chose to elect was not making choices that you or the other seven Republicans support. But with more than 200 Republicans in Congress, when any handful of them can blow things up. Can anyone lead this caucus going forward? Sure. And we saw that that uh, coming together and accomplishment of work. The only place that we didn't see that, Ari, was when it came to the big financial fiscal issues. And instead of trying to compromise with Democrats, what we saw was Speaker McCarthy go and allow the Democrat Party to dictate the terms of the legislation that was going to be passed. Well, I know he would characterize that differently, but here's how Republican strategist Liam Donovan, also a member of your party, described the situation today on NPR's Morning Edition. We always knew that there was going to be this empowered rump that had uh, a nihilistic streak, and if joined by all Democrats, this was always going to be uh, the case. Congressman Rosendale, that is a member of your party referring to you as an empowered rump with a nihilistic streak. What do you say to that? Again, if I could complete my sentence, what we saw was a lot of successes until such time that Leader McCarthy started dealing with the large fiscal issues that we must address. And he violated the trust and confidence of the conference. Okay, Anytime that you allow the conference to Uh, get to the deadline of the debt ceiling, that was engineered by uh, Kevin McCarthy. We knew since the Budget Act of 1974 that the appropriation bills were all due. The 12 separate appropriation bills were all due by June 30. It's in statute. They They weren't provided to us by June 30. They weren't provided to us by July 30. They weren't provided to us by August 30. So without getting too deep into the deadlines, the dates, and the details, you said Kevin McCarthy violated the trust and confidence of the conference, the the Republican Party in the House. 210 members of the Republican Party in the House apparently still have trust and confidence in him. They voted to keep him in the role. Eight Republicans in the House joined with all the Democrats to effectively fire him. How does that reflect his losing the trust and confidence of your party? Didn't he just lose the trust and confidence of eight members of your party? No, I don't accept that premise either, Ari. When uh, you saw us before midnight last night, after the king was removed from the throne, five people have already raised their hands and said that they wanted to be the speaker. And this is the exact conversation that we had back in January. When someone wields that much power and they are concerned about the retribution that's going to be imposed upon them, then very few people were willing to stand up and, and, and take that challenge on. But well, now, what are you hearing from some of those 210 House Republicans who voted to keep McCarthy in the role? I literally started hearing from them last week that they were glad that this process was taking place, and they thanked me for pursuing this avenue because they knew that we could not continue down this path of fiscal ruin and and piling an additional several trillion dollars onto the already huge $33 trillion national debt. 
let's talk about who succeeds McCarthy. Jim Jordan has said he is running for the speaker position. Back in January, eight years after he had opposed McCarthy's first bid for speaker, Jim Jordan nominated McCarthy and lobbied other Republicans to vote for him, too. Here's what he said. I think Kevin McCarthy is the right guy to lead us. I really do. or I wouldn't be standing up here giving this speech. I came in with Kevin. We came in the same time 16 years ago. We haven't always agreed on everything, but I like his fight. I like his tenacity. Congressman Rosendale, what do you think about Congressman Jordan choosing to run for speaker now? I'll tell you, I am very excited that we're going to have a forum on Tuesday so that everyone who wants to be considered uh, for the speaker's position is going to have the ability to share their vision and their uh, leadership skills um, with the entire conference and, and, and prove to us that they earned that they are worthy of that position. And, and I will tell you that the, the number one trait that I'm looking for is someone that I can trust, someone that I can trust that when they make commitments to the conference, that when they leave that room, that they're not going to go back on those commitments when they sit down with either Hakeem Jeffries or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden uh, and, and negotiations take place. We have to have compromise because we have divided government, but you cannot allow the Republican majority in the House of Representatives to accept dictates from the Democrat Party. They cannot dictate our policy. Republicans in the House have such a narrow majority that when you represent the views of the conference, there's never going to be consensus. More than 200 people are never going to all agree on something. Doesn't that inevitably empower a small group, whether it's your group of eight or some other, to just tear everything down if they don't get exactly what they want. I don't think that where we saw the uh, uh, the differences and, and the calls of removal of, of Kevin McCarthy was just seven or eight members. When we saw the debt ceiling package that he negotiated with the president without the conference, there was more Democrats. 169 Democrats supported that and only 145 Republicans supported it. He had more support from Democrats. That's not that's not the Republican leader. When we saw this continuing resolution get passed this weekend, it had 209 Democrats and only 125 Republicans that supported it. You can't say that you're the leader of the Republican Party and have the majority of the Democrats supporting and passing your legislation. Well, this is the first time the Republican Party has voted to oust a speaker. Do you think it'll be the last time? Oh, I I have no idea. I have no idea. Congressman Matt Rosendale, Republican representative from Montana, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, Ari. Thanks for having me on. The MacArthur Foundation has announced 20 recipients of its annual fellowship, what's often called the MacArthur Genius Grant. NPR's Gabriel Spitzer brings us the story of one recipient being honored for her clear-eyed science at a time when the world seemed out of control. To understand why the foundation singled out Lindsay Marr, you have to go back to the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic and remember how new it all was. As the World Health Organization struggles to figure out exactly how the virus is transmitted, health officials say it could turn into a global pandemic. The first public health guidance was based on a specific idea of how the disease spread by contact with spit droplets that fly from a sick person's mouth and then fall with gravity, supposedly within six feet of the source. To Mar, who's an environmental engineering professor at Virginia Tech, it didn't quite make sense. 
it seemed more likely to her that the virus floated around in tiny aerosols in the air, which means they could stick around longer and travel farther. Yeah, it's really critical, because if you think that transmission is only occurring by spray of large droplets and you tell everyone to maintain their distance of six feet, if the virus is in fact transmitting through breathing it in from tiny particles in the air, well, that's not going to work. The old guidance, basically stay out of the way of coughs and sneezes and you're in the clear, goes back decades. Mar says she did some digging and discovered it probably sprang from a flawed medical rule of thumb that no one had bothered to revisit. That may be because doctors aren't really experts in the physics of moving gas and tiny particles. You know, I think they were not savvy to the mechanics of transmission. And that's where aerosol scientists and engineers, I think, can play a role. But I think we were shut out of the discussion because it was thought that our expertise wasn't relevant. Mars' research made the case for ventilation, filtration, and high-quality masks. In other words, that cleaning up the air can keep COVID from spreading. So if we think about the virus as a pollutant, just like other particulate air pollution, then we, we have a huge body of knowledge that we can apply to this question. The MacArthur Fellowship comes with a no-strings-attached $800,000 cash prize. Mar hopes the award will help raise the profile of the issues she cares about. I feel like you know, I won the golden ticket in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I have a lot of, of mixed feelings, mostly good, but you know, there's also now, the I feel like, the weight of expectations on me. Lindsay Mar's work helped to bring about a huge pivot in how we think about COVID-19. But she says she foresees an even bigger paradigm shift, where clean air is inextricably linked to our overall health. Gabriel Spitzer, NPR News. Listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. WBUR supporters include the Peabody Essex Museum, presenting the exhibition Bats. Uncover the secrets of these creatures of the night in a new show combining art, ecology, and pop culture. Plus, hang with a colony of live fruit bats. On view now. Fly over to PEM.org to plan your visit. WBUR has reliable support all year long thanks to our monthly sustaining members. If you're a WBUR sustainer and you received a new credit card recently, please take a moment to update your information to keep WBUR strong. Make your update at wbur.org update or call 1-800-909-9287. And another reason to call right now is because we have less than, or just a half hour, more than 24 hours, 24 and a half hours to go in this fun drive. And we are asking you to please help us end it successfully. Your phone calls in aggregate, call by call, will help us make our goal because we are way behind right now and it's not a position we like to be in. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins in the studio for just a short time with Martha Biebinger and Jay Clayton. And, you know, we really can't afford to be in this position with the state of things these days. Journalism is being hit hard economically and politically at a time where it has never mattered more 
right? You think about that. Local journalism has never mattered, mattered more. And national and international journalism, the same thing, right? We all really need to keep the voices of truth strong. And that voice is WBUR and NPR. And we've got some listeners, some members of the Morrow Society here at WBUR who said, let's do this together. They're going to match every dollar that you give, whether it's a monthly gift or a single gift. They're going to double down on it for you if you support WBUR before 7 o'clock tonight. Do that at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And rest assured that while you take a couple of minutes to make your pledge, whether it's online or at 1-800-909-9287, we are working our darndest to make sure you have the latest news of the day. So you just heard this great conversation with Rep. Rosendale, the Republican from Montana, on why he voted against House Speaker McCarthy. You heard from one of the MacArthur Genius Grant awardees today. There are three at least that I counted in the greater Massachusetts area. Yes, Mm -hmm. Lisa? Yes, I mean, what a rich city we live in. And and we are bringing it to you. Plus the Nobel Prize winner, too. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, it's it's kind of... It's kind of few minutes. Kind of like, how do you live in this city with all of these Type A people? But anyway, we just what ask a you. Is. We just ask you to, to to pony up whatever you can to stay in touch with this city that is such a fascinating, vibrant place. One eight hundred nine zero nine nine two eight seven or wbur.org. It's Leila Faldil from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. By calling now, 1-800-909-9287 or going online at WBUR.org, you really do give us the tools to keep going. We couldn't do this without you, not only because we wouldn't have listeners, but also because we wouldn't have listener dollars, which is the the way we make our operating budget. The majority of it comes from you, our listeners. So we hope you will take us seriously as we tell you that we need to make up the gaps that we have right now in our fundraising because the fundraiser is going to be over at 7 o'clock tomorrow night and we have a long way to go in a short period of time. So just pledge what you can, nothing more and we hope nothing less. Your pledge of any amount will be doubled right now. If it's a one-time pledge or a monthly pledge, please please consider giving on a monthly basis if you haven't yet. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And just thinking about what Leila Fado was talking about there a moment ago, you know, our role as, as journalists is to be in those school board meetings, to be in those city council meetings, to cover all these things that you don't have time to investigate yourself but you want to know about them. That's our role. Your role, if you can, and we get it if you can't, that's very much okay. Just keep listening. But if you can give, if you have a little money that you can send our way, especially when some members of our Morrow Society will double down on that support, 
we really need you right now. We have a steep uphill climb to get to the end of this fundraiser on goal, and it will end. The fundraiser will end tomorrow night no matter what. But we really need to make this goal, and we really are counting on your help. 1-800-909-9287 is the phone number to call or WBUR.org. Just 30 minutes to go to get in on the match. And when you say match, Jay, this is like 10 turns of 20 and it's uh, one. Oh, okay. It's powerful. I can feel very powerful with a contribution that is already generous. Whatever you can do, we don't tell you, but we do say do your part because it's time now when news is so critical to be sure that the news you count on stays strong. Thank you so much. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thanks again. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Fresh City Kitchen, now accepting orders and helping you plan for your holiday catering needs. Learn more at freshcitykitchen.com. And Lesley University. Put your creativity to work with a fine arts degree from Lesley University. Invest in your passion at leslie.edu.